You're listening to the Deconstructing Success podcast. I am your host, Tima Alhaj. Have you ever wondered what happens behind closed doors when it comes to real success? I know I have, and this is exactly why this show was created. I have an insatiable desire when it comes to learning from the best in the world and an obsession with how successful people think, operate, and execute. I want to know what sets these people apart from the average person. Each week, my focus is to have intimate conversations with successful CEOs, founders, athletes, experts, and leaders that have created extraordinary levels of success in their own lives. My goal is to ask the right questions whilst deconstructing their success process, their mindset, their life philosophy, and how they continue to achieve success. I want this information to be actionable for my listeners so you can achieve the success you desire and create your dream life. If you are hungry to grow and evolve to your full potential, Then continue listening and subscribe as I deconstruct success from some of the greatest minds and the most inspirational individuals in the world. Welcome to episode 13 of the Deconstructing Success podcast. Today's episode is part two of my interview with Daryl Job. If you missed part one, you have to go back and listen to that. It is the previous episode. And in that episode, we really dive deep into Daryl's childhood. We look at how he became a part of a gang, this feeling of power when he felt truly invincible when he was a gang member and how he used this power to get revenge. We also touch on the death of his best friend who was murdered and so much more. In today's episode, we discuss how Daryl got started in his packaging business, the turning point for him from when he was working full-time to then making the decision to go full-time into entrepreneurship. We also cover off where Daryl first started. What was his starting point when he first established his packaging company? We also cover off how he managed to raise millions of dollars for his startup and also Most importantly, we cover off his belief in second chances and why he hires ex-convicts. Enjoy today's episode. We we love Reverend Tinsley. I I love that, though his words were constantly a reminder for you. So how long were you in jail for? So you took the six months? How long was it in total? Yes, I think think with good time and behavior on on that case, I was like eight, nine months, something okay. to that. Still a long time, though, to, to be locked up for 23 hours a day. Um, yeah, so absolutely. that was continuous for the eight, nine months that you were in, in prison. Yeah. What was the environment like? Did you, because I'm, I'm just really curious, I hope you don't mind me just asking, asking some more questions around there, because um, how did you push yourself through not seeing darkness like it must do some crazy things with your brain just not knowing what time it is during the day obviously being locked up being in a very small environment as well physically in a small environment what were the people like around there how did they treat you did you make friends well where i was at it was it was they considered it the whole and it was d module and mostly everybody that was coming out of prison if you had if you went back to county jail and you were going back to prison, they would hold you in there because you were too much of an influence because you've already went through the ringer. You had too much stop clout 
and, and status on your name. And I would look at it like, I'm not one of these guys. I'm just not, they were just callous, completely callous, full of darkness. And I'm just like, this is not me. I was so different. At the same time, you have to put your composure on. You have to hold your composure. So, you know, you can't be a pushover. But I was just, I'm not you. I'm never coming back to this place. And then you would see guys up in there talking about their children and talk about their families. And then they would get released. And a week later, they're right back. You're like, man, I thought you said you love your kid. If you love your kid, what are you doing here? Like, that's the last thing I'm going to do. It's, it's, it's like goes back to that vicious cycle, just like how you were at a point where you wanted to make a change and live a different life, but then you, that's all you knew. And in terms of relying on yourself to be able to be the provider for your family as well. And I guess there must be a lot of people that fall in that trap too. So when you finally, you know, came out and and you're like, okay, you've made all these promises. What happened from that point on? Well, workman's comp, when I got out of jail, workman's comp actually made a mistake. They, they went back. I seen an orthopedic surgeon and they realized that I had a really bad back at uh, L5 herniation. My bulge, my disc was bulging on my nerve. They felt bad, compensated me for everything that they did not pay me. At the same time, they, they told me to, Daryl, would you got to find another career? And I'm like, no, I was going to be a pipe fitter. I was going to start, you know, you know, you making 50, 60 bucks. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was gonna, I was gonna have this career, and they're like, "There, your career's over. Your back's completely done." You know, and hearing that at the age of twenty-three was a problem. But I said, "You know what? I'm gonna do. I'm gonna." My friend owning a trucking company. I talked to him and said, "Hey, man, they got trucking school. I'm gonna get about fifty thousand dollars. Does this trucking stuff work? Tell me how it goes. This big rig stuff." And you know, I went on a couple of ride-alongs with them. Came back and said, "Hey, I'm gonna buy a big rig." And I remember telling my mom, like, I'm going to buy a big rig with this money that they're going to give me. She thought I was crazy. No, why would you do that? That's crazy. And I'm like, because it's a good career. I can make $10,000 a month. You know, this is this. And that's what I chose to do. And I did that for about a year and a half. And then I had a good friend that I ran into and she was having some dark times, you know, with substance abuse and so on. And um, her family, well, to go back a step, we ended up going to her house one day and I asked her, what does your father do? They had an extremely large house, 10,000 square foot home and some of the most exclusive uh, real estate in the Bay Area. And it was a six, seven, eight million dollar home. First time I ever seen a Ferrari in someone's garage. And I'm like, what does your dad do? And she's <laughs> like, uh, he sells boxes, Daryl. And I'm like, boxes? Like, what do you box. mean? Kind of, what You're kind like, of what's that code word for? What is a box? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I said. And I was like, what kind of boxes? He's like, they're like the brown cardboard boxes. And I started laughing. And my cousin, who's now an engineer here at Barracool, he starts laughing. And I said, yeah, you mean boxes with cocaine in them. You <laughs> didn't know how it's like this with boxes. And that, and that was the running, that was the running joke. And she gave me his card that day. And she's like, Daryl, give him a call. You'll be great at this. And I'm like looking at her like, yeah, right. He's not going to talk to me. Like, are you joking? She's like, Daryl, you were made for sales. It's just you. And she's like, you're a great person. You're very honest. You'll do great at it. Just give him a call. I called him every day for six months. He would never return my phone call. Oh, Not really? one. You, would you leave messages for him? Oh, absolutely. What, what would day, you say? What, what, so what was one of the, give me just a couple of messages that you would leave on his phone. <laughs> you know what? Just going back, I, I remember this. I was extremely nervous. I'm trying to talk proper, which was not natural language for me because I spoke Ebonics my whole life. 
And so you're trying to talk articulate, like you know what you're talking about. But I would say Mr. Don, you know, I don't want to say his name, but, you know, Mr. So-and-so, blah, 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 blah. Can you please give me a call back? And I try to sound sophisticated, but I was lost. I was a kid. I didn't know what I was doing. I was so immature uh, when it came to communication. And one day her mother reaches out to me and says, hey, I'm having a problem. I know you're really close with our, our daughter. Would you mind coming doing an intervention at our home? And I'm like, absolutely. I'm, you know, I'm here for her. And then it dawned on me, oh, is your husband going to be there? Like, yeah. this would click, like, wow. <laughs> so, so I love that. I, I had a chance to, yeah, so I had a chance to meet the family. And, you know, I was all tattooed up. I was still goatee, bald head, looked like a standard typical gang member, but was just trying to clean it up with, with my dress code. I uh, was just, you know, just dealing with the residuals of how I used to look. And him and him and I clicked, you know, we, we grew a fondness together and he would just talk to me and I, I, you know, he would hear me out and we would have conversations. And then one day his wife just said, Joe, we can introduce you to some friends, but it's never going to, I don't think it's going to happen. You got to stop calling him. And I was like, no, I sold my big rigs. I'm coming into this industry. <laughs> he's like, what did you do? Everybody's like, Joe, you sold your big rigs. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sell packages. And so you really back yourself. You really did. You backed yourself. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go all in on yeah. this. Yeah, you have to. You just got to believe in it. And I just, I envisioned myself doing it when I didn't even know what it was. And one day he calls me up. He's like, hey, kid, I got an interview for you. So I get all excited. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> but it ain't with me. It's not with me. It's with a company I know. And I'm like, yeah. oh, darn. And he's like, if you're worth your grain of salt, we'll hire you. I mean, they'll hire you. But if not, dude, stop bugging me. So I go to this interview. I'm extremely nervous. It's the first time I actually really wore a suit that was mine. I felt like I was constricted, like, a, like I, was, I, I was claustrophobic in this outfit. And I remember growing out my hair and I shaved all this and I just had a mustache. And I felt like a painter. <laughs> I was just like, it's just like, wow. You would you have definitely. I, I re- it was bad. And I remember going to this interview. I remember going to this interview. And that's when you had MapQuest. There was no phone. This is back in 2005. And I ended up getting there about two hours early. And I just sat there in a parking lot. So I didn't know what, what was going on. But I had this interview. And I remember they flew a gentleman up from Southern California who was a general manager to meet with me. And the first thing he did was he looked at my resume or looked at the application and he says, is this a joke? And he looks at me and immediately my, my pores open up. I'm, I'm starting to sweat. I'm just like, oh my God, this is my only opportunity. I just sold everything. I got to figure this out. And he's like, do you have any experience? And I was like, he's like, I don't see any experience. And he's like, you didn't even go to high school. Did you go to high school? And he's just like confused because there's no information on there. And he's like, why would I hire you? Like, there's, there's, you have no experience. And I'm like, well, I've been selling my whole life. No, he says, uh, I said, because I, you know, I, I could sell. And he's like, well, have you sold before? I don't see it here in your resume. And I said, I've been selling my whole life. And when I said that, I was like, oh my God, what do I say now? But I just went into the, the I was just transparent. I was like, I've been selling myself out there in the streets, drugs, women, just all of it, just that whole lifestyle. And I said, one thing I've learned how to do is communicate and be a chameleon, to know how to communicate with people on their own terms. 
not dictate who you are, but allow yourself to really resonate with someone, find the beauty in someone and to allow them to be themselves and to have a good conversation and to do that. And that conversation with him ended up being about a two hour long interview. And at the end, he, he looked at me and he's just like, you know what, Mr. Joe, I don't know if, um, well, I don't think we're going to hire you. I just want to be honest, but I will tell you, this is the most intriguing conversation I've ever had with someone in an interview before. And he says, let me explain something to you. There's people that you have to teach to sell. There's other people that will never learn how to sell. There's some people that are just born with it. You are born with it. You're very honest. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're not a car salesman. You're a very honest and open and transparent person. You make people feel warm instantly and you're able to communicate. And he's like, I don't know where this is going to go, but I do want to wish you the best. I don't know what's going to happen, but I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. I felt bummed out, went home. I was pretty sad. I didn't think I had the opportunity. And the next day I got a phone call from their human resource director. And she's like, Mr. Joe, would you take a, a personality test for us? And I did. I said, absolutely. She's like, it's six hours. I'm like, wow, that's a long test. So I ended up going out there, taking a personality test. And uh, a couple of days later, they, um, they hired me. One of the particular things that's always stood out is that there was a word in that test. My vocabulary was so second. It was, there was nothing. I had no type of articulation of any type of words or it was, it was bad. It was extremely bad. And uh, the word assertive, I remember that it popped up on the screen and it said, are you assertive? And I'm like, I don't know. You're like, I don't know what that word is. Yeah. Yeah, but I'll press it. But anywho, come to find out, they ended up offering me the job. And they gave me the job at $41,000. I was like, wow, I'm going to make $41,000. I made $108,000 the year before with my trucking. But I knew if I was just given an opportunity, I would succeed. Took the job, doubled that company's territory within a year and a half. Everybody started recognizing me throughout the packaging industry in Northern California. And they were like, it's the hood. They would call me the hoodlum. It's the hoodlum. It's the hoodlum. He's out there tearing it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I love that. So it, yeah. it was fun. I remember shortly after that, I, was, I wanted to get paid what I was due because they promised me if I did A, B, and C, I would get paid for it. But they thought, hey, he's not going to go anywhere. Well, who's you know, who's going to hire him? And I actually got recruited by a couple of individuals in the industry. And on my exit, we had a dinner and he says, Joe, do you know what happened that day when you took that test? And I said, no. He says, um, this is what happened. You were actually competing with the UCLA grad. We, were, we had already offered him the job. We interviewed you because we were doing a favor for your friend's father. And when you had that interview uh, with the general manager, you actually took him by surprise. That's why they called you back and had you do a personality test. And in that personality test, two things came back that we were never going to have to push you, that you were going to push yourself harder than anybody could ever push you. And then the other guy, we were going to have to push him. So we had to take a step back because we recruited him. And do we pick up the UCLA grad or do we pick up the, the hard knocks grad? And he's like, we went with you and it was the best thing that we've ever done. And I just want to say thank you. So it was a great experience. I ended up going to one of their customers who ended up recruiting me. And they held on to me for about three months and they let me go. They said I wasn't made for the packaging industry. It wasn't, it wasn't my cup of tea and that I need to go figure out something else that I, I the packaging industry, I'm too rough around the edges. I, I don't have the education and the wherewithal to stay in the industry. And that was one of the hardest things that I've ever had to deal with. I remember taking that drive back home and just crying 
like, wow, I just gave everything to get into this industry. And to hear that, it just took everything from me. And also, plus you had so much success prior to that as well. So to hear that, so, so for three months and then, and then what happened after that? Where did you go? I, I called a friend who was that girl's father's friend who I ended up befriending an old timer in the industry. He was extremely upset. He says, Daryl, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to go back to Richmond, my city, and I'm going to be a police officer. I'm going to go back to my community. I'm going to go help re- restore the community that I helped once ravage. And uh, he told me I was crazy. He's like, Daryl, you were born for the packaging industry. You're not going nowhere. And I said, no, I'm done. I said, I don't ever want to feel like that again. I don't ever want to feel that low, that I don't belong. And he says, Daryl, I, I got a family that I want you to meet with. And I was 26 years old at the time. He said, um, just meet with them. And I promised him I would. And I met with this family and I was humbled by the innocence and the nature of who they were. It was a woman-owned business that had started in 1973 by her husband. Her husband passed away in the early 80s and she took over this business in the garage and she turned it into a packaging company. And they gave me an offer and I took that and I just wanted to tell them, thank you so much for believing in me. Within three years, I became their number one sales rep out of, I think, 15 or 20 sales reps, everyone, you know, engineers and directors of, you know, sales directors. And I surpassed everybody. I worked so hard. I became a full-time single father. I got custody of my children. I was raising them solely by myself at the age of 26. And I had to provide for them. But I also wanted to tell that family, thank you for giving me the opportunity. And 10 years later, you know, they're reaching out to me, you know, I'm working for them and I was going to buy a part ownership of their company. And um, I helped them grow when I first started. When I came onto their company, they were about a $10 million company. And when I departed, they were about a $35 million company. And uh, I had a lot to do with that. It was, it was fun. And the general manager and the owner, the owner's son, uh, who's the owner of the company now, were great friends. He helped me start this company here, Veracool. He did so by telling me, Daryl, I will let you go out there and, 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 and create this company and still allow you to financially support yourself with your residuals that you have earned with our company. And um, just until this year. Yeah, no, it was amazing. It was, it was, it was, I'm so grateful that I ended up going to that company prior before I came to this company because it allowed me to be grateful for what I had. I would have never been as grateful for what they gave me for 10 years. You know what I'm, you know, they're just a great family. I'm real close to them. I'm just, they're a godsend to my life, you know? So it's, it's been a journey. And then very cool story starts. And then very cool. I know. I, f- I feel like uh, there's just even so much to even talk about with very cool. So they helped you even set up your, uh, basically very cool. Is that correct? They helped you set it up. And there was no like concern about taking over the industry or, you know, any sort of com- competition between the two of you there. No, what it was is I was looking at becoming a, owner of their company and they had a woman-owned certificate and it possibly would have hurt them if I would have bought some, some of the ownership of the company. So the son said, Hey, Daryl, you, you have a knack for this environmentally friendly uh, insulation stuff that you've been working on that you're trying to integrate into the industry. Why don't you create your own and I'll help you support it. I'll, I'll let you use the infrastructure that we've created here and uh, figure it out. And I, I was a little hurt at, at first. I came back a couple of weeks later and I said, hey, I'm going to take you up on that offer. He's like, you are? And I'm like, yeah. I said, I'm going to create, create a global company with this. And he starts laughing. <laughs> You're still <laughs> laughing. Like, no, Your stuff is just saying that. 
(laughs) which you've actually done but yeah you're laughing as though it's the first time you're saying it (laughs) yeah and then I I remember coming back and it was just I just allowed my mind just to continue to go and go and one of the things that I realized is what really opened me up is I started with this company back in 2006 they said packaging was recession proof that the world's always going to manufacture products so you're always going to have packaging well back in 2009 it was a slap in the face to all of us you know the housing crisis really hurt us all and it made me realize like wow what do i do and then what sustained me was the medical accounts that i had and i realized is i focus more on the medical industry i'm always going to sustain myself because there's always going to be growth because the populations are always going to grow and in doing so i started educating myself on petroleum-based products the detriment that they were having in the environment in the environment and i told myself like wow if styrofoam food trays are going away with paper trays. If you create a solution, the styrofoam EPS coolers are going to go away as well. Start working on that. So I ended up working with a good guy named Gary Lance. He was an old timer in the industry and he started teaching me about some environmentally products he was working on. I said, Daryl, what do you think? And we started working and concocting stuff, presenting them to customers and so on. And when I made that leap five years later, for Barrico, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I had no idea whatsoever. Knowing how difficult it is to start a company, I probably would have scared myself away. I've never, you got to remember, I didn't go to high school. I didn't go to college. There's no one-on-one handbook on how to be an entrepreneur. All I know is I believe in something. I believe that the environment needs it. The performance is there and it's cost effective. I believe that everybody needs to use it. It's a solution that the world should have. And I was going to create it. And then the realities of the VC world and being an entrepreneur slapped me right in the face and said, Daryl, you don't make enough to do this on your own. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to to ask you. So what did it, if you don't, I mean, you don't have to answer this question, but so when, when you started, you know, researching and trying to create these products, how much money did you actually need? Because these things are not cheap. They're not, I mean, to start a company, depending on the industry, changes but when you're formulating a product and you're creating a product that's expensive so how much did you invest initially to get the product and actually create it well at that time i think i was probably doing about four to five hundred thousand dollars a year myself and i thought in my mind that was more than enough to start a company i oh, you take a hundred grand you yeah. start something <laughs> and i just did not know i was lost that can just go in, in, in a space of months when you're trying to create a product, like, you know, $100,000. I could yeah. burn that in a week, uh, <laughs> depending on what kind of machine, the CapEx I spend. The crazy part about it is I ended up in Guatemala. And while I was in Guatemala, I was on a mission trip. And I was in a rural part, and I realized how many people were living across the world. And I met this, this gentleman, uh, Butch Wilson. And um, this mission organization focuses on build, bringing water wells and infrastructures to villages that just don't have anything, that are decimated, that just don't have the financial resources to support them so that they can start re- generate some sort of income, cash flow, protection for the children and, and so on. And just the simple necessities to live. And I said, I wanted to be a part of it. And, you know, I told him about this company, Veracool, I was thinking about. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start this company and, and, and 50% of whatever I make out of this company, I'm going to make sure it's donated to the, to the mission organization. And he looked at me like, what? And he's like, well, if that's the case, I want in. 
And I'm like, no, I don't want no partners. <laughs> he's like, no, Daryl, I want in. Yeah. He's like, how, how much do you need? And I was like, I don't need nothing. I'm going to pay for it. He's like, Daryl, give me, he's like, let me, let me, let me get 20% of the company and I'll give you 500,000. I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> he was like, what? He was like, Daryl, you don't even have a building. Yeah, like, yeah. You don't even have a product. And you I was don't like, even have a building. It's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was like, it's in my mind. Trust me, I know it's going to yeah. work. And he was like, no. So we went into a negotiation. He ended up giving me 450000 for 10% of the company. And what the company That's a was. That's deal for you. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, was, it was in my head and it was on a piece of paper. It was a brochure that I had made with a, uh, a digital rendering. And he was just like, are you sure this is going to work? I'm like, well, I think so. <laughs> so another good friend of mine, we were part of a father's group and uh, we met every Saturday and he would always hear me talking about what I was thinking about doing. And he says, Hey, I want in on this too. And I'm like, no, I don't want any more investors. Why are you guys trying to give me your money? Uh, and he, and both of these gentlemen, they didn't sign papers with me. They just wrote me checks. They just, one wrote me a check for 450,000. The other one wrote me a check for 200,000. And these are guys that I got to know as, as individuals and they knew me and they didn't look at my past as a reflection of who I was, but more of who the man I am mm-hmm. at that, who of the man I become. And we started Veracle and uh, we started moving forward, started looking for a building. And then I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to make this stuff? Everything was handmade. So now you have to create uh, the vision of what you're trying to put together and how do I create machinery? And then you have to work with machine uh, consulting groups and try to put all this together. And in my mind, I was a salesman. I'm like, I just want to sell this stuff. Why is this stuff so hard? And then next thing you know, it takes a life of its own. And then got a CFO, started bringing on employees, and then did a friends and family. And that friends and family, we raised funds from friends and family, roughly two and a half million. And during that time, a sophisticated investment group that was early off uh, from Northern Europe said, hey, we want to be a part of this. We think you guys have something. And I said, I don't want no investors. Why would I want your money? And uh, come to find out, I guess we were supposed to say yes. (laughs) So they ended up coming in. We closed the first round with five million. And uh, unbeknownst to me, it was all new. So in what time frame did you, did you uh, I guess, raise all of these funds? Over what time frame? So from October 15th of 2015 to 2000, February of 2017, so roughly about a year and, year and a half, raised about $5 million. And yeah, it was, That's uh, incredible. it was very, very new to me. Yeah, it was, it was new to me, didn't understand it much, uh, just knew the vision, knew the product was going to sell, knew that the environment needed it, was you know, compostable and environmentally friendly, and then so on. I love that. And so your, your starting point was looking for a building. I would have thought you would have been researching on manufacturing this product or trying to look at the engineering of this product. What was the first step for you? It was definitely the building because I wanted to understand where we were going to go, what we were going to look like. But it's so hard because you go into a building and it's an empty space. But then at the same time, you're looking at 40,000 square feet. And you're like, is this too big or too small? Yeah. Yeah. How would you know how much room you need and location and all of that? Yeah. Okay. All of it. So then I went to the machine manufacturer and said, hey, I'm looking to build a machine and I want to do it for (laughs) 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 $25,000. And I must have laughed the owners and everybody else you know, out of the room. And uh, they came back and said, Daryl, it's, it's not going to happen. We'll never be able to do this. Uh, so we ended up um, 
you know, you have to understand the mechanics, the machinery. They start bringing it in, picking your brain, telling them what's needed and what's not needed. And then you have to see if the customers want to buy it. So then you have to, you're building an infrastructure and creating this system and these products that you're about to, you know, bring to the market. Now you got to make sure there's an audience for it. And then you have to understand, is there a brand? And luckily for us, we, we hit the bull's mark with Vericool. You know, it's like, how do you get Vericool? Like, how do you come up with that, that name? You know, that's, that's awesome. And then the dynamics of the story of being very cool, being is better today for green and cool for blue at the same time, you know, the, it is. the it's, name. It's, a, it's such a great name. It re- really is. It's such a great name. But the way you started things was kind of like in reverse. So normally people would do their market research, see whether there's demand for a particular product, how much people are willing to pay for, then they might come up with the concept of the name. But you literally committed yourself to a massive space saying, okay, well, we're just going to fill this up somehow. We're going to manufacture here somehow. And then you worked backwards. So when you started creating your product, how many attempts did it take and how much did it cost you to actually come up with the first product you could literally sell? The first product, a lot of it was invented by the first Gary Lance, uh, who I had been working with, the old timer. I made some modifications, told him how it needs to be done, made some adjustments to the collars and so on. He put some patent applications around it. And then I said, hey, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Uh, He's at the end telling of his career. I think he was about 70. And I said, I'm going to take this national. I'm going to take this global. His wife thought I was crazy, who's now a great friend of mine, uh, Carol. And um, I was just like, give me the opportunity to go out to the market. I'll sell it. I'll make it happen. And so we worked out a deal to where I would support them. And uh, I would bring this product to life. As we're building this and creating it, customers are signing on. It's the uh, 2016, 2017. We're about to start bringing it to, to market in 2017. Our first customer is a very large uh, pharmaceutical healthcare company. And I'm starting to see a different tide where this is a great solution, Daryl, but the market's about to change. This is not, you're not giving everything that the market wants. So if you stay in this position, you're not going to make it. And I remember going to my board at the time because we just you know, created a board, which I had never been on. I'm the chairman. You know, so you're creating this All these people that were throwing their money at you basically saying, I want in. And you're like, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. want your money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now, now you have this. And then I told them, we have to pivot. We have to pivot. And I told them I created some other solutions. And the sophisticated investor was like, no, we need to stay the task. And I said, absolutely not. And they said, you have to. This is how, you know, VC worlds are. And this is how entrepreneurial worlds. You have to stay, stay, the, stay the course. And I'm like, I'm not driving off a cliff. Uh-uh. I'm shifting. So there was a little bit of a dispute there. And I was just like, hey, you guys keep the company then. I'm going off of my new inventions. You could stay with the old design. I'm going somewhere. And when I did that, it made everyone stop. Like, hold on. Why is he leaving? He's, it's his inventions. There's something he knows. Were you actually being serious when you said that, that you were just prepared to leave? I was absolutely 1,000% serious. The reason being is I knew what we were creating was going to be the innovation for the market to go forward. So what we would, the, the first invention was just the filler. Is there a green market? Do medical companies and uh, uh, food companies care about sustainability? Do they want to move forward? And what happened was there's this serious shift where it started pushing over. And then I'm like, well, we need something that's molded. 
We need something that's cost effective. We need something that's recyclable and also compostable and high performing. I need to create these other solutions. And I just started focusing on designing, designing products, designing products, designing products. And I remember coming into our board meetings, they're like, how are you developing all this? And I'm like, I don't know. They're just all coming to my brain. I'm just sitting there. My kids would be like, my dad stares in a corner for about four hours. He doesn't even <laughs> know you're, people are You're talking. formulating a design <laughs> in your mind. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I don't do is I don't take notes. You'll never see me with a notepad. Everything is memorized. So I design all through memory. I, I My meetings are all controlled through memory. Uh, this conversation is controlled through memory. It's I, I, I learn and I, 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 it's, I learn a different way and I communicate a different way. That's your learning, your, your learning style. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so absolutely. you didn't draw any of these concepts down on paper to, to show you were just literally describing your vision to people that could execute basically your, your yeah, vision. Yeah. I would go down to my, yeah, I would go down to my engineers. I had a course, uh, you know, CAD, you know, engineers and solid work. And I would tell them to create these, give me these draft angles, put this together. Of course they're executing, but they're just following your lead. You're just telling them exactly what to do. Also our, our IP attorneys, my patent attorney, when he first met me, he thought I was crazy. Now he thinks I'm a genius. Yes. We got about seven or eight hundred, seven or eight hundred thousand dollars spent with that firm, but they're a great firm. I do all of our IP, all of our patents. I go through the descriptions. Uh, I, I break it all down. It's. I come from a very paranoid background, just coming from the the previous lifestyle I once lived. So you you learn how to dot you know I's and cross T's and look for weaknesses and mm-hmm. uh, vulnerabilities and. Uh, you know, so it's definitely done us well. Uh, most of the investors that have come on and said that our IP has sets itself apart from everybody else in the industry. And that's where our bread and butter is. We're more that's fantastic. And you were telling me your vocabulary wasn't very extensive and you need a pretty extensive vocabulary when it comes to IP <laughs> and trademarking and yeah, patents yeah, and all of those sort of things. That's incredible. Absolutely. And so when you launched this new product that you were creating, when did you launch that? Was that in 2017, 18? So we started launching products in two, two, yeah, 2018. We started bringing stuff to market uh, at the end of 2018. Uh, we just integrated some products uh, in 2019, some of our very cost-effective insulations and so on. And it was more or less, let's, let's test, test the market. Let's get some orders. Let's see if this is going to be solidified and do we press the gas and go. At the same time, who is Veracool going to be in the market? Is Veracool going to be just another insulation company or are we going to go a little further and set ourselves apart? And then we had to really look at it. And I, I, you know, I really pushed the company to look at our articles of incorporation. Who are we going to be? Are we just going to be a financial-based company or are we going to be an impact company, a company that focuses on the environment and also people? You know, And this goes back to who I am and what I believe in people. You know, I, I, I remember those those tough nights of hunger, you know, hungry stomachs and tough times. At the same time, I made bad choices in my life and I'm not the person that I, I once was, you know, I, I, I didn't really get to choose my direction. I ran with it and then I jumped out when I could, but there's others that want second chances and want, want opportunities with their life that have children. And when you understand the statistics of how children are affected and how much their future is impacted by their parents' decisions. Just statistically, you realize that you got to go out there and you got to help if you can. You got to be a voice. You got to provide a platform. When I know of a father sitting in a prison cell, how much his child's going to be affected versus his father having a job, the outcome from that child is going to be stacked against him, you know, in one way. But, you know, so 
who is Vero Cool going to be? I don't believe in handouts. You know, I've had to work for everything I've been given. Uh, at the same time, I, I believe in giving people opportunity and, and, and hope. Hope is extremely powerful. Uh, you know, it, it changes lives. And I really believe that you change a community by providing opportunity. For someone to sit there and spend time in prison and for every day that they spend in prison, for them to come out and every day that they spent in prison, for them to say, hey, if I'm given, you know, I want an opportunity, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to be a good dad, I'm going to be a good productive member of society. And then when you come out, you got door after door after door after door after door, everybody slamming doors. Nope, you did something bad. We're not going to help you. Can't help you here. Then you turn and look at that kid like, I got to feed my kid. I can't have my kid growing up in these streets. There comes so much time and time again to be in that position. And I can't, I can't no, I got to go out there and help these guys have opportunities. Uh, when you look at the unemployment rate, I think the national unemployment rate for formerly incarcerated men and women is roughly around 29%. And before this COVID-19, the national unemployment rate was roughly at three, three and a half, four percent 4%. So just telling you there's a big offset. And California just enacted, you know, several, passed several laws that say you can't ask someone if they've been formally convicted of a crime. Well, they can still go and do a background check and find they that out. They would still be able to absolutely when they're doing a police yeah, check and everything. So, absolutely. So when, when you were speaking to the board and you were looking at, well, how do we differentiate ourselves? I'd love to touch on a couple of things. So one, how do you do that when you're dealing with people that are really just focused on the bottom line? How do you help them see your vision in the same way that you are and then steer the course in a different direction? And then I'd love to talk about the second chances in terms of all of these, um, you know, incredible opportunities that you've yeah. given. Community. It was, it was, it was difficult, but in the beginning, you got to, you, you got to remember the guys that are on the board were friends of mine and they knew my DNA they knew my fabric, how I thought, how I processed at the same time, they were good with sharing that same sentiment and the same feelings that I had. Of course, the financial investors, more more or less a sophisticated investor, was just like, no, we're about the financial. And so there was a little, you know, head butting at the same time. Majority wins, so that works out. No, of course. But how do you negotiate through that, though? Because in a way, you must have felt a little bit tied to the money that has been invested in your idea and your organization. So how do you get to negotiate and actually influence someone that's just very strong in their views because there must be a lot of people that are listening to this that are either looking at investors or wanting investors on board. And that's, that's a, that's a real challenge when someone's giving you money and said, but hang on a second, that's not what we agreed on. So how do you negotiate through that? Absolutely. Um, You got to be strong. You got to know what you stand for. I would tell you, I've been through a lot. So going through some of the scary times in my life compared to this, I know how to, to push, you know, and, and, and get what's right. I will always fight for the lesser man, uh, even if it means I lose. It's just my DNA and it just is what it is. And when you are, especially early on the company, you can push things in certain directions. You don't want to take advantage of that. You always want to be with, be fair. But at the same time, I know what I have as a vision for Veracool. It's a double impact company, environmentally friendly, and a social impact focused on prison recidivism. And it is what it is. Also non-discriminatory hiring practices. I don't care about your gender. I don't care what you believe you are or you're not. I don't care what language you speak. It's my job 
to give anyone a platform that deserves it and wants an opportunity. How do I tell my next brother and sister that you can't have this opportunity or feed your family or have a productive life? I believe in capitalism. I do. But at the same time, I believe in providing all choices and opportunities for those that, that deserve it and want it. And you got to stand, you got to be ready to fight. You got to be ready to fight. You know, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell you this one thing I heard it from, and I'll take it from some, I heard it from Dan, a, a board member of ours who's a friend of mine now, Dan Scaff, who he heard it from a good friend of his. A revolution is not a dinner party. So really embody that. Think about that. I love that. I love that. I've never heard of that actually. <laughs> so true. It's so true because it's not, it's not a fun thing. It's a massive transition. There's culture, there's values, there's massive, massive changes. So, and that's what I love about you, about a lot about of what you do, because you are really making a change and, and it is a bit of a revolution. And I, I mean, for me, there's my own personal reasons why I love what you're doing, because I know someone very close to me who I guess made the wrong decisions too. And I've always encouraged him to always believe that things can always turn your way. They really can. And you just have to surround yourself by the right people. And you are a pure example of that, that you are that concept of the right people that give those opportunities. So I'd love to know how many staff you have and, and how do you know when you're hiring someone that they really do and they really are ready for that opportunity? Because I guess you could potentially get it wrong too. You know what? In the beginning, it was difficult because I wanted to hire everybody. Yeah, you know, my thing was, hey, if you're a drug addict, if you're on drugs, if this, that, everybody come and then you see the dynamics of your manufacturing floor and you're like, whoa, people are falling asleep because they're intoxicated off of heroin. I got fights over here in the corner. I got people not caring, people intoxicated off of drugs. And yeah, you're trying to help, but you also have to be smart. You, you have a fiduciary responsibility as a CEO and as a shareholder and as someone that's protecting people's financial support and believing in you that I have to do what's right. We believe in opportunities for all, but for those that actually want an opportunity. I'm not looking to wake someone up and I'm not a drug counselor, but I know that there's a ton of men and women out there that are sitting on their couch right now just saying, man, if I was given the opportunity, that are sober, that are clean, that are ready to go. They just don't have the opportunity. So uh, right now we have roughly, uh, we just opened up a second location. So I would say roughly right now, we probably have about 70 employees, about 70, 75 employees. Uh, we're going to be growing. We want to grow as large as we can, as fast as we can. We got great product lines that are launching. We have our outdoor recreational coolers and other things. But um, yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned was you said as a kid, you wanted to be a marine biologist. Like, can you see how you've manifested this dream somehow, even though you're not technically a marine biologist, but you are looking after the environment and really making an impact in your own way within your own dreams as a, as a child too. So I love, I love that you made that possible. So what is your vision for Vericool? Where do you see the company heading and what's next for Vericool? Um, where do I see the company heading? You know, we just closed our uh, Series A roughly around, I think, five months ago. We raised about 19.1 million. My focus right now is to be, you know, break even, cash flow positive by the end of the year, push really, really hard, continue to bring solutions to the market that's environmentally friendly. Uh, one of our uh, greatest joys that I did 
I don't want to say accidentally, but we created the Vera Cooler, which is the first, the world's first environmentally friendly, recyclable outdoor paper cooler, uh, which I invented back in seven, 2017 in Maui. And you go back to talking about being a marine biologist and thinking about that. I remember I heard Maui ban styrofoam and I was at a store and I'm like, there's only styrofoam coolers. I thought you guys banned styrofoam. They said, oh, it's not enacted yet, but we don't even have a solution. And I remember being frustrated. I went back to the condo and I told my kids, hey, uh, daddy needs to uh, borrow some time real quick. Daddy needs to create something for Maui. They're like, what? <laughs> I came out three hours. Three hours later, we had the, we, we called it the Ohana cooler. And uh, let me that. show you what the Ohana cooler Yes, is. show me. So this is the Ohana cooler. So <laughs> I love it. You know, we named it the Ohana cooler. It's a turtle. It's 100% recyclable cooler. Very, very cost effective. No reason to have a styrofoam cooler. And then we also have the Bear Eye cooler. So we'll have all the links for people to have a look at these products as well if they're listening because they're, they're amazing. And you, 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 just, you just say passion about what you do. I love it. So is this where you were like staring at a wall for four hours and you're drawing this um, concept in your mind? Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, I was actually, uh, when I was in Maui, I definitely had to do that. I was staring and just trying to process how do you work with the curves, the, the outs on the, uh, on the, on the molds and processing, because there's a manufacturing piece to it. So you, be, you have to be able to, I'm a visual processor, so I see everything like it's clear as day. So when I go to design something, I could literally talk to you and design something throughout with dimensions and everything. It's 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 weird, but it's a gift. Hopefully, I have it for the rest of my life. It's incredible. God doesn't take it away. It's incredible. No, I love that. The vision for Veracool in the future. What we're working on right now is there's a lot of styrofoam manufacturing companies throughout the United States and North America and throughout the world that have reached out to us to to utilize our technology. So that's something that we've definitely started entertaining. How do we take our company and share it with others and instead of charging a licensing fee and all this and that let's bring simplicity to it go out there and support the environment we'll work with you with our ip and our patents you know there's of course a very small reimbursement that Veracool receives but when you look at it you know we we believe if you're going to do business with us 25 percent of your workforce that manufactures our product has to be formally incarcerated Instead of us just reaching six percent of the of the of the um, the landscape, we can reach seventy five percent and have these companies with these large infrastructures supporting us and really working at trying to combat this. So you know we're working there, and then we have a great opportunity. Our coolers are in Seven Eleven, uh, Bevmo, Save Mart, Lucky's. We're working on a ton of other chains, and then we have the B two B. We're in tons of healthcare companies, and uh, with their sustainability initiatives, some of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world some of the largest e-commerce companies and mail kit companies in the world. So we're looking at having a great growth rate and it's a lot of work, but we're doing great things. I can't I'm so it. excited for you. I mean, in 12 months time, I can only imagine where your business will be. So I, I, I cannot wait to have another conversation with you at some stage. So, but I'd love to talk a little bit about what's behind you. So you have, I, I really love it. So what's the top part of it? There's a bit of artwork. Says so you can describe it. Yeah, this here, as you see, is the, the boss is on top. The boss means that you're just pointing the finger and you're watching your watching your crew just go. And I believe a leader is someone that's going to get in front of their team and, and guide them and, and show them the way. 
and lead by example. And it's something that you, you know, it's, it's hard in the entrepreneurial world, but I'd rather get out there and just, just follow my lead guys. I could we you know, let's, 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 you know, I'll be the leader that the company needs. That's well, life in general. You, you really are. You really are a leader. And, uh, and I, I'm, I've just had such a, such an amazing time with you today. So thank you so much for sharing everything and for not holding back and, for really sharing as much as you possibly could about your story and also your business. But we'll definitely revisit this in, in a few months' time. I'd love to see where Veracool is and and really talk more about, you know, the business side of things as well. So thank you so much, Daryl. Before thank before you so we much. before we end the um, interview, I'd love to ask you one more question. So one of my focuses for my podcast is it's really part of my mission which I believe that we can really be whoever we want to be and construct that within within ourselves and I really do believe that our potential is limitless but like you it really only applies to people that are willing to work hard and really apply certain tools in their life to really better their lives so I'd love for you to talk about what you think limitless potential is and if you can just let our audience know. I believe it's not setting boundaries for really believing in and going for what you believe in. When you set boundaries and you set limits, you minimize your growth and the opportunity to achieve. If I listen to everyone and I put limits as they told me I should, I would have never, I look at my life, this is limitless potential. I'm in a place that I, I, I would have never dreamed of. And God only knows where I'm going to go. But I will tell you this, it all means nothing if it's all for me. I really believe in to whom much has been given, much is required. And you don't start living life and your life doesn't have value until you start living it for others. So if you're going to have limitless potential, make sure that's in front of you. And you'll never stop. How do you stop striving to work hard and to fight for your brother and your sister next to you that don't have a voice, that don't have the opportunity? When you need that extra muster and strength, you'll find it. That's, that's limitless potential to me. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much, Daryl. I'm so happy with, with what you, everything you just said. Thank you. I, I love that. It's actually, I think it's my favorite response so far. And I've asked many, oh. many people. So thank you so much, Daryl. And for anyone thank that you. wants to connect with Daryl, uh, the best way, is it through LinkedIn? Or what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Come onto the very cool yeah, website, link- obviously. Check yeah. out your beautiful products. Yeah, go yeah, that'd be awesome. And our and our and our and our website's a little outdated. We get contacted by about a hundred companies a month, so we haven't even tried to even update it. But we will be shortly. But definitely reach out to Veracool Info Line. The, the info line you can go on our website and uh, also do LinkedIn, and uh, I'll do my best to get back to you. But thank you so much for listening. It's been a great, great honor, and it's a pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much, Daryl. Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation. At Deconstructing Success, we have so many more incredible conversations for you to download, listen to, and share. Check out the links in the podcast description so that you can continue to learn, apply, and evolve. We would love for you to support the show. And you can do this by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or leaving a comment on your favorite platform. You can also share this episode with someone that you know who can benefit from listening to today's show. If you wish to connect with me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. 
Just type in Tima Alhaj, send me a direct message and let me know which episode you listen to. All of the links are in the podcast description. Your future success is waiting for you. Until next time, this is Tima.